What is it about my de- my desktop that's so chaotic that you hate it, Jess? Um, <laughs> there's sticky notes everywhere. Yeah, but it's, and the bottom bar but there is just every app notes. you could possibly have. I'm on trying your phone to keep track your, of information. Oh but, you guys are kind of turning me off the idea of ever going to Apple. Why? No, like his it, bottom like action bar is like every possible app you could have on his because on they're right computer. there and then they're ready for me to use. I don't know what any of those words mean. That's but. Uh, I accept no judgment here. I'm I set up the computer the way that I want to. Listen, set it up. I'm a very, I'm a minimalist when it comes to. Okay, uh, cattier headphones. Yeah. Escape button. It's oh. at the top left. The same place why is it not a push button? <laughs> Did you not own an uh, Apple? Not one that had. A what are you doing on my computer? You that left you're it looking at your, for all you these left keys. It at the house. What you should be doing on my computer is button. absolutely nothing. I That's what you should be doing. I hope you deleted your history. No, it keeps going into full screen, but I don't want it. What are you? But stop! Quit fucking with it. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Overrun Podcast. My name is Ed Bowder. I'm Dan Schwester. I'm Kevin Mazza. <laughs> and I'm Jess Master Cool. <laughs> Jess is with us today. Uh, she's actually with us both in body and in spirit. <laughs> so she, <laughs> we are all communicating very well. Uh, today's show is going to be very, very loose because we're coming up on the end of the year, kids, and that's when we get all the exciting stuff. So today we're going to talk about... Uh, some uh, some some stuff that happened up uh, to our neighbors it, to the north is, is of Rhode this, Island. This is another one of our world famous. What, what? The, actual. the actual? So what we're going to do with this is we're going to talk about the story because it's it, it's as nightmarish as it is confusing. Uh, and then we're going to talk about what could have been done differently, and we're going to bring some clinical acumen into it so that none of uh, none of y'all listening actually have a similar problem. So. Um, <laughs> Yeah, don't so, be. You don't want to be these people. You don't. You don't want to do this. So, uh, just for what it's worth, Jessica has not really heard this story yet, uh, which is kind of the purpose of us getting us all together. So, I am going to read this story. This is coming from the Providence Journal. This is uh, so Dateline. This is from September first. This story actually happened in August, but I'm, reading I'm watching her reaction. <laughs> so, I'm reading from Kate Mulvaney's colony, colony, column. The uh, colony. Colony. Kate Mulvaney's colony. <laughs> So this is two wound socket EMTs appeal license suspension over newborn's death. Now, these two EMTs are appealing the suspension from this call. Oh, boy. Um, but the call that happened uh, in wound socket, the headline, Dateline Providence. The two wound socket emergency medical te- technicians whose licenses were suspended after the death of a premature infant are appealing their suspensions according to the State Department of Health. As you do. As you do. This story links back to a previous Providence Journal article. Uh, again, this is uh, Dateline Providence. Again, this is from Alex Kuffner. State health officials have suspended the licenses of two wound socket emergency medical technicians after concluding that they failed to provide proper care to a premature newborn who died on August 1st. Uh, this article goes in to discuss the names of the EMTs. We're not going to name them. You guys can find it in the article. That's also going to take up a lot of time. But essentially, this is what the story was. Uh, two wound socket EMTs responded that these two EMTs are When certified. we say EMTs, are they like what level? Oh, they're they EMT cardiac. Yeah, they're certified as EMT cardiacs. Oh, Get no. ready for some deja vu. Didn't we've we do an that. episode on Yes. Uh, yes, we did. So just, right. to, just to clarify, EMT cardiacs uh, in the world of EMS have a little bit more training than your standard BLS provider. Um, specifically, they're shown some cardiac monitor stuff, some tools of the trade as far as cardiac care is concerned. The nearest I've seen it explained is EMT taking ACLS and with an ACLS scope. Right. So what they don't teach EMT cardiacs is OBGYN care. Uh, so, <laughs> so the story, uh, essentially, in a nutshell, is uh, this: a mother gave birth to a child. Um, she delivered the child into the toilet, as many people do. 
when the EMS providers arrived on scene, the child was still um, was in the toilet and was attached to the umbilical cord. It seems that the case is that the EMTs then ligated the cord and wait. took wait. <laughs> they, they, no, no, so, no, no. So they ligated the cord and they took the mother to the ambulance. Now, Jess, what is your follow-up question to? That I don't know statement? if this wait, is. Wait, wait, wait. They. Okay, hold on. So they <laughs> they cut the umbilical cord. Uh huh. Uh huh. Where was the baby when they cut the umbilical cord? In the toilet. So. What do you mean? So what they did was. I think a qu- important caveat is how far along was this uh, preterm child? Oh, this this child was a. Uh, it was twenty four weeks. Was was the delivery? So, so now, so we're gonna, we are going to talk about that in a moment because we're going to discuss discussion about viability. That's, that's an important, that's important point. timeline here. But that's still technically um, viable, it, and it, now and you're leaving the baby in the cold water. Well, so this the conversation that I want to get into is because I want to talk about what the thought process of the EMTs might have been, okay. and we'll we'll get to that in a minute. So, right. baby was left in the toilet. They bring the mother out to the ambulance. They then go back into the house to retrieve the child where they put the child in a biohazard bag because the assumption was that the child had expired. What do you so mean the assumption? They, it's exactly what I said. <laughs> they, they there assume. was an assumption as in no assessment was performed. I was going to say, why did yeah. you say assumption and not the assessment was that yeah. the child so to, so to be clear, a baby was born into the toilet, they cut the umbilical cord, left the baby in the toilet for X amount of time that's not documented in the report, and then they took the mother to the ambulance. Then they took the biohazard bag with what was like with the baby in it, uh, put it in the ambulance, took the patient to the hospital. When they got to the hospital, oh. they turned the mother over. The hospital staff hears the report and they say, what happened to the baby? And they go out to the ambulance and they present the baby in the biohazard bag, uh, which is where the story takes an interesting turn because the child still had a pulse. What? Why was it in a... Why was the baby in a biohazard bag? Because that's they they, they didn't have like it. a they towel. Thought, or they thought it was a biohazard. It doesn't matter they, if they, they, you're they, not familiar with the baby pod four. What? <laughs> oh, <laughs> we can't, we're not doing those jokes. Okay. <laughs> too soon. Oh, that no, was too soon. Yeah. I mean, edit, edit that out. Sorry. I, I thought know. it's been a month. I thought we were in the clear. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> so any time I've had a um, either miscarriage or a preterm delivery in the ER where the um, the baby expired. It didn't matter the baby expired. We still wrapped the baby either in a blanket or a towel and allowed the mother to hold the baby. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that is what you did. Okay. That's not, so, that's not what they did. I wish oh Anna was God. here. Anna and, I had a share, Anna and I had a shared experience very similar, and that's exactly what we did. And it was a 15-week term, like but zero still. chance of survivability, and mom still got to have that baby with so her. So the quote from the hospital health or from the Rhode Island Health Department is upon returning to the emergency department it was determined that patient one, which was the baby, demonstrated a palpable pulse and hospital emergency department staff attempted the resuscitation. The resuscitation was unsuccessful and the infant was pronounced dead by the attending physician. So that's awkward. Yeah. So the first thing before I we really it. before we, we first before we get into it and before we hear that's not feedback, to say that we it are not ended any different. Just, but um, I think you missed another detail in there, Ed, that yeah. they when they arrived at the hospital, they had walked the mother into the hospital. Walked yeah, with walked like her own leg. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then they oh. left the biohazard bag on the back of the stretcher until yeah. somebody else came and retrieved it. Why yeah, didn't the, they just the keep her on the stretcher and take the whole thing? Yeah. Yes. And it's it's not clear. That is not in the EMT cardiac yeah. scope it's, of practice. It's not clear. They if, got the they only got the slight oh, no. little bit of ain't lifting shit from ALS. <laughs> <laughs> like it's it's not clear essentially if if the mother had delivered the placenta and, and all that yet. But either way it, it, it this is that maybe there were, maybe model. that's a maybe that's a thing in their 
protocol that they just uh, walk the patient well, so, until so the again, placenta this, jars before, loose? Before we get too into this, because it's mm. it's going to sound like we're making fun of dead babies, and that's not what we're doing. <laughs> no. Um, no. This nope, is nope. Uh, part, of the th- part of the reason we do shows like this is because this is one of the examples of that Swiss cheese model of failure where everything that could have gone wrong on a call did, and a lot of it was done through human error. Right? Yeah. So this is, you know, the it starts with the assumption that the baby is 24 weeks and was not viable, right? right. So we'll start with that because we know that that's not necessarily the case. Well, let's talk about how hard it is to actually determine viability. It's yeah. impossible in the field, hence you... in. Okay, if this was me, I would say I'm assuming this baby's viable until I'm told by a higher medical professional in the hospital that they're no longer viable. It's right? like a DNR is not present. You're Correct. going for like, it. You yeah. know, because this is a very tricky situation. You're going to err on the side of the patient. Absolutely. Right. Um, well, and, and the thing is, too, like... Because you know like what? Even now, with Kevin's example, when you had that 15-week um, you know, miscarriage, you still attempted like everything you could within reason to support the baby the baby was moving um we did blow by oxygen and kept it warm in um foil wrap and the baby expired on the way to the hospital yeah it was technically alive we did everything we could and we knew we explained to the mother that there was a zero percent chance of viability for a 15-week preterm given that yeah you know what Mm -hmm. i knew of um development at that point and i'm like just prepare yourself but we're going to make you as comfortable as possible make both of you as comfortable as possible Mm-hmm. So let's let's build out on that a little bit because let's talk about the viability thing. So the viability is essentially based upon the production of surfactant in the lungs. Y- mm-hmm. You really aren't going to know that in the field, right? No. The, the only way that we can tell that is, frankly, through autopsy. Mm-hmm. So, y- you know, you want to have the assumption that maybe the kid's lungs work. So even at 15 weeks, we know that they haven't produced surfactant because you don't start producing surfactant until about week 24. Mm-hmm. So you know that that child is not going to have a survivable delivery, right? But again, it's still, if, if for no other reason than... You know, I, I I hate using the euphemism to put on a show, but I mean, you, you do not something even that it's just like you um, have to you, have you don't to know for sure until sure. you get to the hospital and they can do further testing. Yeah. Right? And, you know, you might be able to circulate the kid's blood. Maybe mm-hmm. they're maybe, you know, get them into a NICU where they're Keep them they might warm, be held, you know, and, and obtain some viability. And but you could they could have even done possibly like um like a high flow, like blow by oxygen, like any sure. kind of even minimal amount of peep that they could have like gentle people that they could have. So and I think babies. that's kind of the point, right? Is that they could yeah. have done something, mm-hmm. right? And they, I, I think that if you're, if it's a two provider system and you're in a situation where you have to decide which patient to care for, like, again, I, I understand how these failures happen, mm-hmm. right? It's just the issue of like, you have to catch it. So um, first, I mean, we, we talked about some of the procedural stuff, but let's talk a little bit about physiology uh, and anatomy. Kevin, do you want to go over how, uh, how fetal circulation works? Uh, yeah, and why so why this baby might have been alive? Well, uh, so when a baby's at around 24 weeks, they can technically survive independently outside the womb because they do have some lung development. They can have spontaneous respirations and their heart's strong enough to circulate the blood. But the best chance for this baby would have been to keep on the mom's placenta as long as possible because mm-hmm. I don't we don't know the time frame, how long she delivered, so how long their arrival. But you want to try to keep that child attached to a healthy, as presumably you know, living, breathing parent with a placental attachment. For as uh, push off as long as you can until you have to cut that cord. And I know that was like an option for Jess and I when our son was born. We kept that umbilical cord attached for. I think it was a minute. Ten, it, was, it was it was a, a minute or two minutes. It was a little. It was actually a little longer. I know you, you were someplace else, but yeah. um, <laughs> she True. was busy doing other things. No, try, yeah. So it was it was like a, almost like five minutes. Yeah, she mm-hmm. was doing all the work, Kev. Let's <laughs> just. I, I know. I know. That's why I'm. That's why I'm <laughs> correcting. I'm pleased. I know. I know my place here. Um, I did not do any of that work. Um. So it, it was almost up to, well, 
for me also it felt like a long time but like it could have been up to like three to five minutes that mm-hmm. how long they were attached before they cut it and then they did skin to skin we don't know how long it was for that baby we don't know if they got a call for a childbirth already happened there's a lot of details we don't know but that child has to be first priority so long as mom does not appear to be an extremist or mm-hmm. like you know any uncontrolled hemorrhage or there's, anything there's like that. also nothing wrong with clamping the cord after it stops pulsating and mm-hmm. just transferring it clamped you don't have to cut it in the field because right. that's actually in, you can introduce i mean for even a full-term baby i'm talking about like you can introduce um bacteria or infection into the cord um that can that's a common thing that happens in the hospitals too so it's not just and most uh, you know thing. most of us don't have most ems clinicians in the field don't have what you need for really taking care of a really small kid no um, they don't even have like a I mean, I to don't clamp that cord that. it might be in their ob kit they've got yeah Should we've be, got cord but... clamps the single use ones mm-hmm. um just like those plastic ones but right? you know a lot of times yeah. your choices of um cutting the cord is an unsterile pair of trauma shears or the scalpel that comes in the kit um most of us like Jess was talking about peep for a kid they we don't get we don't carry tea pieces no. we don't um a lot of times all you have is a neonatal bag and for some of these little chicken nuggets that bag is way too big even for them especially for a preemie um they mm-hmm. might need a size zero or a zero zero mask that because yeah, we don't carry the balloon um uh, oh the yeah the one that we, blow, we yeah the flow inflating about, bag i don't remember yeah. the name of it but yeah. it's the we don't have it's the, the green balloon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we don't have the. <laughs> yeah, <tea. it's, laughs> uh, I think it's a maple scent, isn't it? Something uh, yeah, like that. The, the pressure, yeah. uh, the air yeah. pressure bags. Yeah. So, <clears throat> theoretically, if you have a kid who is born and they, they are born into a toilet in this type of setting, they can be physiologically viable. You mm-hmm. know, the idea is that as long as you have the umbilical cord that's actually still attached to them, right, and they're actually delivering oxygen and nutrients to the baby. So one of the one of the key parts of this is that they chose to ligate the cord and leave the child in the toilet, which again. Uh, that is yeah step one take the baby out of the take toilet, baby out of the, toilet. That's, the baby's that's, in the toilet take it out of the toilet like yeah. can so, we that's your first step yeah and, and and again like the issues that we're talking about with like we have you know dirty trauma shears in the back of an ambulance is you know maybe clean not sterile all all that kind of stuff that all that's all great but you have this kid now who's who was born into the toilet uh, they're probably going to develop an infection right i'm I'm assuming that if the toilet is being used in the house, I'm guessing it's not a brand new toilet. So there's probably a risk of infection, you know, once they're born. We so clean ours after everyone uses not it. Not only <laughs> that, but um, it's cold toilet water. It's not, right. this isn't like bath water in your toilet. It's not, it's a great it's point. Cold. And mm-hmm. when you think about a neonate skin, mm-hmm. um, they don't have the ability to thermoregulate. So that whatever hypothermia is going to be, multiplied with these yeah. these little kids think, especially the preemies their mm-hmm. skin is so it's so thin and so friable not it's only like, that but the preemies aren't going to have any fat to, like developed no, no and they also and kids burn energy mm-hmm. very very quickly yeah i think yeah. this yeah. is an important time to any birth regardless of the term that kid needs to be kept warm it doesn't yeah. matter if it's a planned birth it's when yeah. everything went smoothly that kid if you're not sweating in the back of the rig it's too dry. cold for the baby yeah. skin and this to, is skin to skin with mom with a blanket over them unless it's unsafe yeah and, then and you wrap them in a warm blanket and this is what we talk about like warm. when we talk to you know bls providers mm-hmm. at least in our area when we ask like do you have a blanket on the truck 
it's not you know for the sake of uh, wanting to keep us warm it's because you need to have it in the event that you have a child in that in the back of that truck mm -hmm. right the same thing whenever like whenever we talk about any equipment that we have right when are you going to use it and it's we all know the the high yield high use equipment we have right a blood pressure cuff for example mm -hmm. so when people are checking their trucks they're going to look to see if they have a blood pressure a cuff and a stethoscope and all that other stuff but this is when you want to take the time like all right maybe you know in the event this happens do i have my ob kit do i have a neonatal kit do i have a blanket in the event that i have to deal with these kids right do i have enough linens yeah yeah even then even sheets are important Towels. But, i yeah. refuse to believe that no any ambulance service doesn't have enough linens because every time i go to the hospital there is zero somebody's taking them you all have linens <laughs> i know you do <laughs> Yeah, we know you're hoarding them. Gu guilty somebody, as charged. Somebody I have, has I, them. I, Kevin knows this. I will steal towels from a hospital shamelessly. <laughs> yeah. like that and they always end up folded up in the back of the truck somewhere. It's yeah, like just, that episode of Scrubs where they uh, make like shower curtains out of the yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Now, just, just for the record, we don't condone the theft of hospital property. Take what you need, um, but don't take all of it. Yeah. And, and again, this is another thing that the, you know, the systems have tended to overcorrect on. Where Do you guys have fobs? On your a sheet, a sheet. It's it's the funniest allowance system that I've seen because the hospital system be like, nah, no, you overextended your welcome. No, now you get one. Yeah, how many of you have EMS crew rooms that actually have food in them? Well, you can think. Here's the thing, especially when you're keeping babies warm, you can think outside of the box. Aluminum foil or those space blankets are really good. They're dirt cheap and they fold up really small, like a pack of cards. Um, you can take use stuff that. From the house. Um, you can take stuff from the house. Um, Newspapers. If they're, can, if they're like, pregnant, I've seen even. Pregnant, they probably have stuff. Already. I saw, and I, I don't, I can't say who to get the credit because I, I don't remember. Me. But I did see where. Yeah, Kevin, it was you. Great, you're all uh, welcome. And uh, where they really put, they'll put teeny tinies, and they actually put them in a Ziploc bag, not leaving the head out. <laughs> <laughs> but they they it's kind of put them in a plastic bag because it retains moisture and it, it retains, retains heat. heat. Mm -hmm. This is not what was done in this case. This yeah. was a biohazard bag. This is this was that was a, a NICU thing or a, well, and again, this a transport a, this trick. Situation, but, <clears throat> excuse me. This is a situation where I, I and again, understandably, I can understand why the providers would assume that the child had expired. I, I, I get yeah, that. It's, yeah, I, that, that I can understand, I understand that. Especially we don't we don't train a lot for neonatal stuff and premature birth. We we we're not familiar with it. We're not comfortable with it. Um, it's the stuff that nobody really wants to practice on and learn because they're scared of it. Um, they're well, they're okay, tiny. So I understand the part where they were assuming this baby was not viable. Right. The part I don't understand was why was the baby left in the toilet? Because the first thing that should have happened was the baby was taken out of the toilet and then I don't understand putting the baby in any kind of closed plastic bag. You know, it, it doesn't matter if the baby is viable or not, or if the baby is alive or not. No, like putting that, it that in, a, baby, in a biohazard bag and tying it closed no, is a lot different that, than trying to that maintain That baby goes warmth. in a towel wrapped up and either someone holds it or the mom holds Like you, I don't know how there's many... a level of dignity that we if, you know, well, this is have a good. To maintain also, I think this like, is also, yeah, totally. This is a good opportunity. If you've never actually seen a preterm baby at certain weeks, you should probably familiarize yourself with what they look like by googling images, so you know if because sometimes you'll have a spontaneous abortion or miscarriage where the mom didn't even know she was pregnant, and you're looking at a fetus um, that you don't know. <laughs> you don't know exactly how old it is, so you could probably. It's pretty dramatically different from week to week. 
So you could probably uh, Google some images and familiarize yourself. So, and just so we're clear on this, because uh, we, we have talked about some of the things that were and were not done. Um, to be clear, uh, the lawyers for these two Woonsocket EMTs uh, are appealing these, uh, this suspension because apparently they weren't given the chance to give their side of the story. Um, and naturally, you know, all parties are innocent until proven guilty. Of course. Uh, it has been reported that they did wrap the child in a towel, which is swell, but before then they put it in the biohazard bag. Put them in the biohazard bag. Um, and, and so again, so this is, when we have these patients, so how much of this... Let's talk a little bit about the psychology for some of this, because how much knowing that the kid was 24 or 25 weeks, because, again, we don't know the exact date of conception. We don't know the you know, that's that's still a very kind of variable and viability changes too. a few not so long ago, 27 weeks, 28 weeks was viability. Now we've got it down to 24, 24, 25, 22, 22 is the hardest is the earliest I've seen outside of a certain NICUs you can get down outside of certain NICUs. Like, I don't know what I don't know resource available them in, you know, Woonsocket, uh, Rhode Island, but 22 weeks should have at least had enough time to get to that NICU that that kid needs. I would hope. It depends. Maybe. But well, depending and, and, on your resources. Well, if that kid was born on, in the hospital, yes. Outside of the yeah. hospital, probably not. But it's not. I had a the, the youngest I've ever had was twenty seven weeks, and I can tell you, it looked like it I, looked like a little baby bird. When it I, was when I was working in Philly, I I ran a resuscitation on a twenty one week old in a in a NICU. Mm-hmm. Uh, not great. I don't I don't recommend it. Um, but I mean, it, you know, it's it is a very kind of stressful situation to now. So, and, and I guess that's kind of the question I want to ask is because this is kind of the part of EMS that we don't like talking about, right? Right. How much of it is whether you want to call it ignorance, apathy, you know, whatever, not not fulfilling their duties. It's probably equal and, parts. Well, uh, I don't well, know. But, I don't think it. I don't well, think on, there was any hang on. How malice much, behind that. How much of it was? Like that kind of thing, right? Ignorance, apathy. I'm going to treat the mother, and how much of it was fear to treat the newborn? Well, I think it's probably equal parts. Yeah, I think they looked at this kid, and they don't look like the normal babies you see when they get born. Um, they're not doing what normal babies do. Um, it's something we're not familiar with. It's something that we don't look. You you can't even put a 24 in these kids because they're so tiny. I mean, they go they go up to like 28 gauge catheters for some right. of these no, places. Usually, it's umbilical catheters or umbilical yeah. catheters, right? And that's something that may not be in their scope of practice. Um, I've never done one. I practiced. I've done it in NRP, but that's in a simulation. Same. Um, I wouldn't feel com- scope. I wouldn't even feel comfortable <laughs> with a you know, without training on it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not going to blame them for that. I, I think it's easy to, it would be easy to make the mistake and say that the baby wasn't viable, but again, that's showing a lack of knowledge. You know, we, we don't know what the, the date of the age of this kid is, and we don't right. know how many weeks along. I don't think the viability is even a factor. I think it doesn't matter whether the child was viable or not. It's the actions that they took weren't appropriate either way right no 100 percent. so no, no i agree yeah. I, no, and i think nothing, i think nothing that we're saying is in support of you know leaving no. an unresuscitated child in the toilet there's probably a cultural think, issue yeah it's it's got to be more of you know how do we stop this from happening like to other providers so was it that there's there's a culture in that particular department or amongst that particular unit was it you know and, and again there's nothing I, it's I think all going to come out in the wash 
I mean, yeah, that's true. And and honestly, what's going to sink them if they did nothing else? Okay, the biohazard bag is going to be the thing that sinks them. Because for nothing else, you can explain anything else. You can explain away uh, ignorance. You can explain away stress response. There's a lot of things that you can for, you can forgive, but that's going to stick in the face of it, in the faces of the jury. That's going to stick in the face of the judge, um, and that's stuck probably in the face of the the you know the the state agency that that wanted to suspend their their certifications. Um, we all know what a biohazard bag for. It's for waste, and it's not used for anything else. We don't use it as an imp- improvised blanket. We don't use it for anything other than we know what the red bags are for, and yep. that's what they're used for. When you do, when you make that decision, you're you're psychologically telling yourself that that kid's not viable, and you're betting your career and betting your future that 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 kid is not viable. I'm so, not going to do it. Know, I mean, I think a more pr- if they wanted to place the child in a protective holder of some kind. They could have placed the patient in the towel like they said they did and then right into a basin that the mom could have held to mm-hmm. give her support to hold the baby, right? Yeah. Because, um, you know, in the hospital, I all the times that I've unfortunately had to deal with it, it, the baby was wrapped in a towel and then placed in a basin. And that way, you know, if mom... Because like, it's hard to hold a very small child like that without feeling like it's going to, you know, fall. So you put them in the basin, they're secure in there, um, you know, the towel gets more support to stay around the baby, and then that you can transport the baby that way, too. Sure. It's not so, Jess, here's a fun wrinkle for you. Uh, mm. One of the EMTs... So, <laughs> these EMTs have been licensed since uh, 2001 and 2007, respectively. Mm. Um, and the EMT that's been licensed since 2001 obtained their uh, nursing license in wow. 2010. There it is. Oh. And has a license through 2024. Bum, bum, bum. Well, kiss that goodbye. Uh, hold well, on. So that's, hold so on. that's where it gets <laughs> really interesting, Different spanks right? for different now, ranks. Yeah. All right, so, so now, now, right, now, now I have just, less... Um, that, listen, we had a... Uh, tolerance. <laughs> after, after the Tennessee... Right, Tennessee? The uh, nurse incident giving Rocky Rodium instead of Ursaid. Yeah. Wow. Throwing a... Regret- no. Regrettably, not the only time that that's happened. That's no, a, that's a no. fairly common thing. Just well, just you look confused. But we're gonna have to talk about that story. Um, but this is worse, in my opinion. <laughs> I mean, yeah, this a med error <sighs> versus like not checking the viability of a. a well, so one of the things, one of the most important things we can do when you see an error like this is to try and learn from it and try and figure out like what not to do. Now, it, it would stand to reason, I would hope, or it should be obvious that don't leave a baby in a toilet. Right, that, that that should be the takeaway. Like if this is, has to, if, if we're teaching this class, this is listen. No matter one, what, it's got to come to the hospital anyway. Listen, there's right. a reason that it says do not use in the shower on a hair dryer. So <laughs> somebody has to be the reason there's those warnings. This is what someone making making bathtub toast. Yes, this is this is the exact. This is what uh, an old teacher of mine used to call a perfect example of a bad example. So there's no, a that's, lot that's to exactly learn it. here. So and this, this is one of the reasons why, like I when I say I like the story, I like the story as far as reporting it and and telling it to people. Because this is something that you can, uh, like it's 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 such an extreme story, right? But it's something that you can talk about. Something that other providers can learn. There's from. a lot of things to because be learned does, to learn from it. it. Like if you're teaching this to a class, right? You're teaching sure. you know, EMS OB, and you're like, should you leave a baby in a toilet? Right? I, I would assume that the class is going to answer no. But that's right? what I'm saying. Let's hope. This is why I'm confused. Well, right. Know. But I, so, <laughs> but, it, but again, it, it gets to a bigger question, which is what. What is it that we're doing 
in education. And when I say this, I'm not, I'm, as, despite my predilection for blaming systems for things over individuals, I think this was two individuals who failed at a very high level. Sure. But that said, are we not teaching our EMTs enough about OB because it's yucky or you know did we omit something or is this a we're not we're not we're not teaching it because the instructors aren't comfortable with it well Well, i also think that we're not we're not knowledgeable enough and i I, also think that the part of ob that we do get to actually cover an emt is the actual birth part like it's the active bls birth and saying this is a bls scope of practice okay sure and a normal full-term infant with a healthy mother with no like high risk well, provided it's not like a footling Correct. breach or yeah. you know and at the end of the day yes it is however we don't go into the f- we really don't go into the physiology of how that um, pregnancy even happens throughout each of the months and trimesters and then we also don't go into taking care of the newborn past just oh you suction and then you wrap them up yeah you know and like i i've taken it's NRP. very perfunctory yeah it's it's very um stunted and limited and saying well if you know, if there's anything other than this, you need ALS, but the ALS isn't going to instantly be there. Right. So you need yeah. to you need to have an idea of what you need to start doing until you get more. Support, so that's a good thing. Let's right? let's talk about that from the 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 EMT scope of practice that here. What do you need to do? What is important right now? When you have this, so you're you are the EMT on scene. What would you do in this situation? First step is we've said it before. You take the baby out of the toilet. Yep. Second thing is. One of you assesses the baby. One of you assesses the mother. Any signs of life, any movement, any kind of chest wall movement, you can see it, this it should stuff. Be, it should be noted they report the EMTs reported that they flicked the child's foot and found no reaction. Because it's in the cold because toilet the water. Toilet. Yeah, I, right. I, yes, but again, I, I want to be as as fair and objective to the providers as possible because, again... No, no, that's, that's fine. You know, this but, isn't... But when you assume, you, you cause problems. Right. Assuming this kid is dead... Not dead until they're warm and dead. We always say that. Yep. Yep. And right. we so teach they're, that in EMT class too. Warm, dry, and dead. So these are EMT cardiacs. So they have a cardiac yes. monitor. Uh, so that I don't know. Uh, I'm going to say not necessarily. Then why are they called EMT cardiacs? Because cause cardiac has extra training that involves... I believe the they do. I believe they, they carry might. monitors. Now, here's the question. Do they, have, do they have the right size electrodes for this kit? Even if they don't, you can put one on each limb and wrap it around, and you'll still get some kind of waveform. Don't disagree. Okay. So, I mean, if they were, if Fair. there was really a question, you know, you could have, you could have chosen, you know, side chest walls, and you could have done thighs, and you would have gotten some kind of waveform. That's, that's a fair point. You know, um, everybody gets a full. Everybody should get a good assessment. Um, well, and, and this is when we talk is, to when we train EMTs, right? We always yeah. train them. We train that like your most important things aside from scene safety and BSI is airway breathing and circulation. So even in a Mm -hmm. a childbirth setting, you want to make sure that they have a patent airway and that they're breathing and that they're circulating, which, you know, at some point it becomes malfeasance to just flick the baby's foot and be like, that's not a reaction. So I mean, there's there's adults who you'll flick their foot and they won't move because (laughs) well, and they're still alive and breathing. I mean, well, I mean, here's the things that uh, did someone take an apical pulse? Did someone well, and, put a stethoscope on this kid's chest and listen for her heart tones? No. Did did they well, do no, did the they toilet. do a capillary refill? Did they what did they assess for? So, but that's that's an important note too. Is aside from the assessment that these EMTs seemingly have not done, is yeah. when you're in the field, you're experiencing this. These are things that you should do, right? Right. And 
and again, it, it seems silly to, I guess, make the argument that, you know, instead of doing nothing, you should do something. I, like, it's, it feels weird to be making that argument toward EMS providers because typically doing something is what we do best. Right. Um, you know, but in these scenarios, you might just be fine just taking the baby and transporting, you know, suctioning the kid out and then, you know, trying to stimulate them a little bit so that they breathe. Yeah, take, take get some blow by oxygen, dry the baby off, wrap the baby in a towel, wrap it in some kind of um, barrier that's going to retain heat or allow them to generate heat. Um, you know, I, I like I said, uh, I've seen I've seen saran wrap. I've seen aluminum foil. I've seen the space blankets, whatever you have that will do that and go ahead and use it. And you take the kid to the hospital, you transport the child as a patient. You right. don't transport the p- child as medical waste. Does anyone want to get into the uh, the mammalian diving reflex and how that works? Get a quick refresher on that stuff. Oh, go ahead. I love <laughs> mammalian diving reflexes. So this is, and again, for you know the people that have forgotten about it, it's something that's taught in EMT and some medic schools where it, it essentially, and there's a whole bunch of different mechanisms that I, we're not going to get into in this episode, but essentially what happens is you can have newborn children that are submerged in water and they stop breathing but they maintain oxygenation yeah especially so, small kids yeah and for the love of god i'm speaking in broad strokes please don't comment about how i got it wrong but that's generally yeah what, there, what there, the point there is. is some stuff in the literature about uh, children who have survived prolonged submersions uh they've been resuscitated prolonged times and with no neurological sequela now right outliers case reports yeah of course we're not doing randomized control trials on no. this um and you know don't come at me about that but it's possible and if it's possible we should be doing it yeah and so when you have a kid who's who's been submerged who is cold or for whatever reason you might find that their heart rate is slow or they're they're breathing slowly and that's why you need to actually keep them warm and stimulate them so the other thing that you have to do and we're bound to do this regardless of what project you work at is you have to actually keep in touch with your local protocols right so the one of the nice things about EMS is that most of it in most states, the protocols are readily available on the Internet. So we've pulled up Rhode Island's uh, protocols here in standing orders. Kevin, have you found anything interesting in that? Oh, I'm getting close. <laughs> <laughs> so it's 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 a little bit to unpack because of the weird coding they have for um, their different. Sorry, their different um, levels of care between uh, basic cardiac and paramedic. So I am at the neonatal resuscitation. So the recognition that everybody's supposed to do a newly born infant meeting any of the following criteria. And then um, less than term gestation, less than thir- which is less than 37 weeks. Not crying, breathing, heart rate less than 100, poor muscle tone, labored breathing, gasping, persistent 5 to 10 central sinuses, or 5 to 10 minutes. Um, doesn't sound like any of those things were checked other than muscle tone by touching the kid's foot. Which, They're, by the way, a preemie is going to be cyanotic pretty much. Yeah. At baseline, yeah, yeah. So. to start, yeah. I've never seen a kid with an Apgar ten. No, I, no, I, I think minute. I think it exists. Our son was I think it's I think it's somewhere out there, but yeah, it's a there's myth. all those overachievers <laughs> with your. <laughs> <laughs> I know there's some gunner in the neonatal ward. Yeah, yeah, there's like, some Karen who has a kid. Like all my kids had Apgars at ten. What about it? <laughs> So, but and again, regardless of the protocols that are here, and again, they're they're accessible online. We can post them in the show notes. You know. When it comes to the actual, you know, the actual EMTs, the actual providers, because we are a show that is very pro-worker, one of the things that you have to do if you're a staff member is if you're going to, you know, make a mistake, if you're going to break a rule, you have to make sure that it's a rule that is breakable. 
mm-hmm. right? And sure. in this setting, aside from the just s- remarkably substandard patient care, now they're in a situation where the EMTs have also violated state protocols. So yeah. aside from the employment that they might have at their project, that might compromise their ability to work in the state. Which, again, I, this is all, this is conjecture. I have no confirmation of this, but it is something that is that we have to consider as providers, where if you're treating a patient that in a way that exceeds your state protocols, that's something that can kind of get you in trouble. And it's something that sure. you have to kind of keep in mind and be careful of. You know, and I'm not saying to whore for your project. You know, but, <laughs> I, you know like, listen, the big boss man's going to come and get you anyway, but you don't want to give them a reason to. No, and the protocols are there partially to protect you if you follow them there's very little that someone can say that you if you if you follow protocols you could theoretically do nothing and be a, a perfectly and be fraudulent yeah perfectly employee. perfectly functional that's what they're there for but yeah. but they're minimum guidelines like at the minimum this is what right. you there's should more do. that you could do right. you so could do more i'm in their neonatal resuscitation so literally the very first thing that all providers of all levels should do is Warm the infant and maintain normothermia. That is number number one. Oops. Keep them warm. Uh oh. Take them out, out of the toilet. The toilet. Little did you I know that like toilet was a jacuzzi toilet? I feel. <laughs> I feel like we've replaced BSI scene safety now with take baby out of the toilet. Take baby out of the toilet. That's the first thing you do. Walk. That's how we're going to when you walk in the scene. Take baby out of the toilet. Used to be scene safety. It used to be the main rule of of taking care of babies was don't drop the baby. Now it's like take the baby out of the toilet. Yeah, I am terrified by the way of holding children. Because I'm afraid I'm going to drop them. I, mean, I am. It's, it's, that's fair. It's never happened, but I am. I am certain because they're wiggly. Sometimes they're sticky. Somebody's going to name a punk band they're, Toilet Baby, aren't they? There are I'd be shocked if there wasn't a punk going. band named Toilet Baby. There's gotta be. I mean, listen. If there's a band out there called King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard, there's gotta be a band like that. Oh, shout out. Yeah, I, I'm I'm sure there's something there. But so what are our final thoughts on this? Dan, we'll start with you and we'll go around. Look, don't assume. Just do your job. This is this is one of those this is one of those how those clear absolutely clear moments that just just do your job. Take care of the kid, take care of the mother, take them to the hospital. Do the best you can from point A to point B and you'll be fine. When you start thinking and and we don't know what was in their heads and we don't know what they were, you know, what was going through the thought process, but something went awry. Either they, they discounted their own little, you know, conscience telling them something or they were tired. They just didn't want to be bothered or it was, you know, the toxic heroism bullshit, you know, um, whatever. But now they're, now they're in a jackpot because they basically just didn't do their job. And, you know, like, like the, like they say in the movie, you know, the world needs plenty of bartenders. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. you don't want to. This is when you have to care for people. Kevin, and, what do you think? Um, I think this should hopefully trigger a cultural change if there one needs to be and ongoing training for so this doesn't happen again. Um, like I said before, this is a perfect example of a bad example. So if anything could be gleaned from the situation is to not let this happen again anywhere, anytime, for any reason. And if it's fear in the back of your mind preventing you from doing it, then you should be, you want to stay in this field, you got to fight that and you have to train against it and you have to be ready because we spend a whole lot of downtime doing nothing, getting ready for the worst possible scenario. This is it. And um, they didn't step up. Jess? Um, I think 
part of the problem is that we need to probably revamp our education, pre-hospital education for BLS providers and ALS providers. Mm-hmm. Because um, when I'm thinking back to what I was taught in B- like my EMT class, it didn't encompass all of these other scenarios like it was just basically like oh healthy baby came out of mom right and that's this is how you take care of healthy baby coming out of healthy mom right um so i think that is definitely an aspect that we have to do better with and we need to include um taking care of a high-risk mother and what that looks like and what that means both pre-partum and postpartum and how do we take care of um babies born at gestation before 37 weeks when they right. when they are born in the field so that's um a thing that i think that's just a nationwide thing that we have to do better with right not yeah. just rhode 100%. island not just i you, i think you know. this this feels to me like aside from that there was a systemic error it feels to me as a training and education error um <clears throat> I, I like i said something we don't do very often or well is teach bad ob Right. right. It's usually like, hey, the baby comes out, you catch it, and then you get a little stork sticker on the side of your ambulance and uh, you're on, on your way. Um, and I, I feel like that was probably collect a, your pin at the door, collect your pin at the door, yeah. get your little certificate. Um, I, I feel like that's something that was kind of lost. And, and and again, the the EMTs, they they did what they did. Um, but I, I think we should take times like this to look back at the systems that allowed that to happen. And see what can be changed by that, because to allow two EMTs, one of whom is a nurse, to have additional training, to for that to happen, that that feels like an educational error. That doesn't feel like it doesn't necessarily feel like apathy. You know, no, I, mean? I don't. I, I, feel I like, don't think so. I feel like that's. And I don't, I don't think, think it's maliciousness. No, here. there's I think no it's maliciousness. Just, yeah. I think they yeah. just. I, I, yeah, I, exactly. I, I, I want to believe in my heart there was nothing malicious. I, I really no, have to and, believe. And it. again, some sometimes people fuck up. Yeah, it, you know, it, is. It, it might it might be that simple, but should it do we here just before we're on a hard out? But do we think that the answer is pri- is allowing EMTs to take classes like NRP and I don't understand at, why EMTs do not take yeah, even as I an hate, audit thing. No, just I, to like, I think so when I I, I had to take uh, advanced burn life support as an audit and okay. it, even just that was just having that exposure was was incredible. So I, I don't think there's anything wrong with having EMTs go to additional classes. The problem that I have, and, and we can speak to this in another show, is I, I think that w- we try and tend to get EMTs to take like sexy classes, yeah. right? Where it's like, oh, this is how you're going to treat someone, you know, who's shot with a 45. And it's like, okay, but y- you live in the suburbs. Like, Ballistics for the basic life support. <laughs> right, exactly. As <laughs> opposed to, you know, like, but like how much specialized training do BLS providers get on just treating a CHF patient? None. You know what I mean? It, like that I know someone <laughs> that you see all the time, right? Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, little things like putting on CPAP where they know how to put on CPAP, but we don't really go into the actual physiology or pathology yeah. of things like that. So I do think that's extra that training that needs to happen. I think that aside from the initial training that EMTs get, this is something that needs to kind of last, right? The, the, the two-year recertification that you get where you have to do a certain amount of time, at least for registry, on OB, but you might be going through, you know, taking a high risk pregnancy course, which is great, but it addresses the mother and not so much the child. Right. You I know, think, so I there's think part there's of the problem too is that um, it depends on where you're working at or volunteering sure. at. So, you know, I happen to work in a system where it's a hospital based system. So they have a lot of these classes at their disposal that you can go and get either get paid to go to them or if you're not being paid, at least the class is paid for you. Yeah. You know, if you're in a volunteer situation or just it's a standalone municipality or a standalone county-based system that doesn't necessarily have 
resources to, you know, say, hey, why don't you go take this NRP class and audit it? It, it's hard because then you're either asking your providers to pay out of pocket and do this on their own time, or you're asking them to take time off work, not get paid, but, oh, you can go to this class for free, but we're not going to pay you to go to that. Right. And that really, well, that's a whole that's, other. yeah, that's going to discourage people from wanting to take these classes in the first place. And that's why you should listen to podcasts for free. So for the, <laughs> <laughs> for the overall, I'm Dan Schwester. I'm Kevin Mazza. And I'm Jess Mastercola. We'll talk to you all next time.